In 2010, Emily launched How She Hustles, a Toronto-based network that connects diverse women through social media and special events. With a small but mighty fierce freelance team, Emily leads this community with a digital reach of over 18,000 diverse women. Through her network, Emily has produced over 20 sold-out events and Startup and Slay, the digital series for diverse female and non-binary entrepreneurs sponsored by CIBC, Roger Sports Media, and Shopify. Most recently, Emily hosted a roundtable with Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and was invited to meet former First Lady Michelle Obama. Thank you so much, Emily, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So am I. It's amazing that it took technology to connect us from coast to coast, but I'm glad we're here. Grateful for it. I'll take it however we can get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Emily, so take us back to 2010. Tell us where it started and take us forward to how it's going. Ooh, great question. Okay, how much time do we have? Um, All right, 2010. 2010, I was living a completely different life. And of course, our whole planet was different. Um, I was working behind the scenes in marketing and communications. I was a young woman trying to find my way in life and my career. And I was looking for my tribe. That's the short answer. I was looking for other young black women who were trying to navigate their careers. Um, But I didn't aspire to be in the C-suite. Uh, I didn't come, was born with a silver spoon in my mouth, and I really wanted to embrace my journey and hold on to my identity um, as a young woman, as a black woman, as um, an immigrant's daughter. I just knew that I wanted to do things differently. So I uh, posted something on social media, and I was like, hey, I'm looking to connect with other women who hustle, and amazingly, women started responding right away at four o'clock in the morning saying, yeah, I'm hustling and working on a bunch of things too. I got one foot in community, one foot in corporate. And so it was just a simple idea of let's get together and talk about what are we working on? How can we support each other? How can we learn about each other's hustles? And that gave birth to the first How She Hustles brunch in May of 2010. I had no intentions of doing this for a decade. It was supposed to be a one-off thing. And then people saw the photos on social media and they're like, oh, that room, I, I wanna be in that one. When's the next event? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Hadn't planned on it. And uh, things just happened very organically, but also very intentionally um, Mm -hmm. in another way since then. Like, I think the universe had an intention for me and I was like, let's just see where this goes. And 10 years later, here we are. Um, I would say over the decade, I've been super proud to hold space for uh, women of color, um, but also all of our allies. How She Hustles is not exclusively for black women. It's for diverse women who see themselves as entrepreneurs on that entrepreneurial journey or as leaders coming into their own. And um, aside from doing lots and lots of events, uh, we've also done some really important digital projects that I think have given uh, an even greater platform for women to tell their stories, especially women that we don't normally hear from. Um, And, uh, you know, we've also been able to start to build a table of influence where people are really coming to our community to learn about different ways of doing, of being, different ways of leading, and trying to uh, create a more inclusive environment in various ways. Hmm. What a decade of legacy and impact that you 
began with a 4 a.m. tweet and then continued <laughs> to steward and hold space for. Yeah, it was, it was, it was actually Facebook, so I got to shout them out. But yeah, Twitter, Twitter, <laughs> I don't know if they need shout outs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, shout, shout out Facebook. There are many things you've done that I haven't, haven't liked, but I'll, I'll take it. You brought us a community and uh, you brought us together. And that's the thing about social media, you know, it can be so divisive, but at the same time, it can really help you find where you belong. And it can help you build things that weren't possible. I mean, I think of projects that we've worked on, like the Her Story and Black project. Hopefully we'll get to talk about that later. But one of our signature digital projects, and that was born out of social media. Had it not been for platforms where you could just post an idea and see who kind of it resonates with and who kind of flocks to the idea, that project never would have happened. So anyway, that's been a big part of our work. Let's talk about that because you dove into that digital space and the storytelling online space even before the last year of the pandemic necessitated it. And I know that the ripples that you were able to create and the reach you had were tremendous. So can you tell us about more about that project? Yeah, so um, I started working behind the scenes at one of the big media companies in the country and because uh, my background is in journalism and I also studied PR and uh, I've always loved the arts. My first degree is in music. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was working behind the scenes for CBC at the time. And CBC was getting ready to uh, reflect the nation through uh, a Canada 150 campaign. And nobody said that Black women weren't going to be part of the campaign. I, you know, that's not what happened. But there wasn't that specific call in, um, that specific inclusion piece that I was seeing yet. And so I just decided, why wait for it? Um, I had had all these women coming, black, white, and otherwise, um, to How She Hustles events for years at that point. And I thought, okay, so the women that I'm seeing who aren't often on the news, who have stories of being one of the few or one of the only in their industry, especially if they're black or racialized women, are they gonna be part of Canada's story? that this big broadcaster was going to tell. And so um, Black History Month was also coming up. And, you know, with humility, I have to say, Her Story in Black, this digital series created by my brand, How She Hustles, happened before Viola Desmond was on a $10 bill, before Kamala Harris was in office, you know, before a lot of, before Black Lives Matter movement, even, you know, it it even kicked in really before Me Too kind of Mm. really reached its peak. And, um, that's the thing with ideas is sometimes we we they're born out of necessity um, because of something that's happening in society. And sometimes they're born out of your own intuition and drive to see yourself and to mm-hmm. raise voices, uh, raise up voices we don't often hear. So anyway, the project uh, was focused on profiling 150 young black women from the Toronto GTA area. Um, most of them were under 40. Uh, Purely through the power of social media, we literally put out a call and I said, I'm going to do this project. I have no sponsor. I have no media partner. Uh, I have no budget. I have no team, but I have a vision and I believe it shall get done. And it did. Um, People started nominating people, suggesting people, and we ended up with 150 extraordinary women from engineers to neuroscientists to architects to police officers, tattoo artists, educators, athletes. Like, it was just amazing. And so many of these women had never been seen before on a national Mm -hmm. platform. And what was really powerful about it is when we did the photo shoots, we did three 
I will never forget. There's a video on my YouTube channel. If you go to youtube.com slash how she hustles, um, we organically connected in ways that I don't think will ever be forgotten. Like I will never forget watching the architect and the engineer walk into a room and literally just like cling to each other. There were so many tears, there were hugs, mm -hmm. there were people who were like, I've never been in a room with this many accomplished black women in Canada who were there for this same purpose um, to share their stories. Like, you know, more and more that's been happening. But again, you know, this was 2017 when the project launched. So anyway, it became a, um, a digital series that was on TV and radio and it had its own microsite. It became a one hour TV documentary. We hosted a 400 person cocktail reception in the heart of the CBC Broadcasting Center, which is huge, right? When you think about um, black bodies and taking up space, like dare I say, until the Black Lives Matter movement, I think a lot of people weren't even, if you weren't from the quote unquote black community, there were a lot of people who weren't even used to seeing that many black people gathering en masse. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and even when they do, there's a certain association. It's a contest or a protest. It's like, no, actually her story in black was neither of those things. Um, and so the project went on to just inspire so many people, um, big brands to, to think about storytelling, to think about how they use the platform to connect communities, young women saying, oh my gosh, these are the role models I've been looking for. And also for the women who participated, there was a, a sisterhood that continues now, people who met at that shoot and are forever connected, um, but also their communities and their corporations and their companies started to look at them differently. Some people said, you know, in all the years that I've been doing this thing, nobody had ever asked me to sit in the leadership role. Nobody had ever asked me about my story. Nobody had ever asked me to um, really speak about how we create a more inclusive environment and see the role that I can truly play in this. And that project created the platform. Um, I will just say as, as, an, as kind of the end of the story, uh, which leads into other chapters of my life. I was really honored that we received an award, uh, a couple of awards actually, uh, but the most important was, you know, it was huge to be recognized by the president of the company for a particular category. It was the president's award for relevance. And mm. what he really said was this was a project that was not only relevant to so many teams within the organization, not only for its cultural re relevance, but for the content, for the way it broke down silos, for the way it also connected with community and it was relevant to our audiences. And so um, as a marketer and as a content creator and as somebody who's also from um, an underrepresented community, uh, it's a project that will stand the test of time. Oh, Emily, I just got goosebumps listening to you the whole time. If people want to find and see the campaign, does it still live somewhere digitally for them to do so? It does. I am uh, re revamping my website, so you'll be able to find lots of it at howshehustles.com. Um, that's a great place to go. All, and also my YouTube channel. Uh, you can watch uh, highlights, different stories uh, there. Um, there's a lot of content that was put into that project. And if you just type in her story in black in Google, you'll find lots or go to my site. Thank you. Uh, when you were speaking, what really struck me, Emily, is that you are so clearly, clearly so masterful at hosting and facilitating and holding space in such a thoughtful and intentional way. And I'm really curious where you've learned that or who you've learned that from. Mm -hmm. 
That's very kind of you to say. Um, you know, it's something I really work on. And so often when we, when people perceive us as doing something well, sometimes it's easy to be like, oh yeah, I just know how to do this thing. But it's something that I don't take for granted. And I'm constantly checking myself, uh, seeing my own blind spots, recognizing my own privilege and seeing that I still have a lot of work to do too. As much as I'm pushing my elbows to make space for others, I also have a lot of self work to do and I take that just as seriously. So where did I learn to be intentional and kind of try and hold space for folks? Um, my parents really laid us, I'm telling you, this pandemic, one of the silver linings is that I got to spend time with my parents a lot and to ask them questions that I'd never asked them before. I was actually able to interview both my parents for almost two hours separately, just about their life journey and what they learned about coming to Canada, building a life, building community, and what they were hoping to impart to us. And even as a child, um, my parents brought us around to community events and we would kind of sit at the knees of elders and listen to you know, um, folks from the Caribbean, folks from Africa, talk about the importance of community, talk about the importance of sharing stories, oral history, um, and not forgetting where you came from, not forgetting mm -hmm. the sacrifices of others. I mean, I think of my grandfather, my grandmothers, my grandmothers are both alive right now. They are 95 years old and they both are of clear mind and they're able-bodied and they can tell me what's happening on CNN before I tell them. And it's such a blessing because I know that in order for them to have left, you know, to, to have raised my parents who then left this legacy for me, they had to rely on community. They had to have, it was, you know, the people in the in the countryside of Jamaica who helped my grandparents, you know, um, taking care of the land and taking care of the animals and taking care of each other. My grandfather was a man of faith. He was uh, a pastor. And so that sense of it's much bigger than you. There's a bigger purpose. Faith plays a big, big role in my life. And so um, I guess I would say family has really shown me the importance of community and that has extended into my career and my life's work. Mm, so beautiful. I wonder if you have found a way to integrate and bring that forward in the more corporate environments. I often hear, you know, especially from, from young women who say they, they feel this kind of duality or um, like there is perhaps maybe misalignment with some of the values that they hold near and dear and how they feel they can or can't show up in the workplace, for example, especially early on, or even from entrepreneurs who are running their business that there is, you know, a deep value or impact embedded in their business, but they don't necessarily want to be forward with it because they don't think it might serve their business goals. And so I'm curious how you marry that. Yeah, I mean, um, I transitioned out of the corporate world in the capacity I was in previously. Like I kind of went from full-time full employee with a side hustle to full-time entrepreneur. And it's interesting now because some of the big brands that I used to work with, both in the nonprofit and the private and the public sector, have now become my clients mm -hmm. um, because I also do some consulting work. So it's really interesting that your values can stand the test of time, but the way you express those values can change over time. 
So mm. if you always valued being connected to community, you always valued inclusion, you always valued doing things differently, there are different ways to express that and to make that real. And it doesn't mean you have to have the corner office to do so. Sometimes it means that you're your own boss. Sometimes it means you could stay in the corporate world and you're volunteering, or you have a side hustle or a passion project, or you use your agency to bring the community in, in a way because of your power, your privilege, your title. So I think it's not so much about the position, it's about the mission. Like, what are you trying to do? And whatever, however your life is organized, you will find a way to express that and to, to kind of shepherd that energy through your work. Um, I would also say though, in, now that I have my own brand and my own community, and I guess, you know, I call the shots, um, what it's really about is figuring out how I walk my values when, as you know, as, an, as being in the entrepreneurial space and how much you interact, like every dollar counts and you have to be accountable mm -hmm. to things. And um, it's hard to make the decisions that are right sometimes when the bottom line is staring you right in the face. I would say one thing that's been really critical for us is how she hustles since that first event in 2010. We have absolutely prioritized um, collaborating with and flat out hiring uh, as much as we can in every situation, um, as no matter how big or small, uh, women and women of color to do the work. And I think that's been one of the things that has really differentiated us is that whether it is the caterer for our 250 women brunch, whether it is the graphic designer, whether it is the young Muslim ASL interpreter, whether it is the, um, the graphic illustrator, whether it is the event planner, the social media person, I mean, that is embedded in what we do. Whenever there is an opportunity for me to pay somebody to do the work in a community that is rooted in diverse women, one of the things I'm constantly asking is, who do I know who might be a woman of color or a female entrepreneur, self-identified woman entrepreneur who could do this work? Because mm -hmm. what I found is, even just starting out with the event side, in my almost 10 years, when I was almost at ten, the 10 year mark, I realized I had never, ever, ever gone to a venue that had, for example, a black woman as the caterer of record. Not once. And these are hotels, co-working spaces, um, event facilities that are raking in thousands and thousands of dollars at the time. And the companies they had on record, I won't even name them, but most of them were male owned, um, not BIPOC that everybody's talking about now and well-established in the corporate world. Meanwhile, I knew lots of young women who were like, yeah, you know, I'm just starting my catering business. And I was like, why shouldn't I be able to hire you? And so it actually became a really interesting uh, systemic barrier that I was trying to tackle because then I would go into the venue and say, well, if you want my business, tell me what you're doing to create an inclusive environment to bring in to diversify your vendors and your suppliers. And I had to make some tough choices because for a lot of venues, in order to bring in your own caterer, even though if they align with the values, they're charging you a 25 to 40% landmark fee, mm -hmm. right? So you have to pay more to bring in someone but I was willing to pay the cost after the first, maybe the second, the third time, because I realized what started to happen was when these venues started to see 
the energy that was so different when all of a sudden you have 150, 200, 250 black, brown, and all kinds of women coming into a space. That changes the energy right off the bat because a lot of people haven't seen that, right? Not in a professional networking capacity in Canada. That's one. Two, when they're like, wait a minute, you mean down to your security guard, your DJ, your event planner, your caterer, these are all young women of color? We've never even heard of them. When people started to see, yeah, it's possible to have a cocktail reception that people are raving on, that is trending on social media, that is bringing out journalists and CEOs and women from the community that isn't rooted in wine and cheese, but is actually about ginger beer, soca, and samosas or patties, and people still love it and feel like it is on par. It just created just a completely different narrative about what networking looked like. And I think it also made the guests start to really crave it. We started to just attract people who were flying, driving, like it was it was kind of mind blowing. People would get up at, literally get up at 12.01 and they would set their alarms and they would buy tickets for as many people as possible and then go back to sleep. We'd be like, got my ticket. And the tweet would go out at like 12.01. I was like, oh my gosh, do you guys not sleep? <laughs> but it told me that it wasn't just about people getting together. It's about the intention. And I was also very intentional about telling people that. You may not see every single person who built every single aspect of this event or this digital project, but I'm telling you because it's a principal thing. And it's also about getting us all to be a little bit more self-aware. If you hadn't thought about it before, the next time you have a big company party or a big, big event, ask, who are we hiring to do the work? I, I love what you're talking about here because in, you know, big corporate government land, we're talking about procurement, right? And that's really the terminology that is used there. And it's so simple. Like, I, I find that sometimes these terms get so complicated. Procurement, you mean just, you know, who the supplier yeah, is? Yeah. Like, who you're hiring, that's yeah. who you mean. And you don't have to be a big company or big government to make those decisions. We make those decisions every day. And I'm so curious whether you experience this too. I would be willing to bet that you did as well. We have a similar philosophy at the forum and have always brought in women to any any of the roles from, you know, external graphic designers to caterers, et cetera. And an event that we hosted in Toronto with one of our corporate partners, we brought in an amazing caterer. It's two uh, queer women of color who run the business. And they had, of course, the best food, as you mm -hmm. would expect. And like the most beautiful presentation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And like the food itself was worthy of the whole event, let, yeah. let alone the content yeah. of the event. <laughs> um, but we actually heard from them after the company now regularly has them as a supplier because again, they experienced it and became part of it. So it, so I always try to think of like the broader context and impact that it can further have. All the time. That is the proof of the pudding, the pudding for us, you know. Um, just recently, one of the people who worked with us for a digital project actually got hired back at CBC. They were like, yeah, man, this team that you put together. I was joking with a girlfriend of mine this week. I was like, man, I need to start a talent agency. People keep coaching <laughs> my folks. Um, you might need to. You very well <laughs> might need to. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's part of the success. And yeah. that's not about patting myself on the back. That is about saying like, this is what it's about. It's not this about is why this is why it this matters. Is why. This is it, yeah. right? It's not just about me saying, oh, look what I did by myself. If, for example, the photographers from Her Story in Black, they did these 150 portraits and then they did these group photos that were almost like these beautiful Vanity Fair style group photos of black women with afros and locks and like, oh my gosh, it was just beautiful. 
Um, it was amazing to see them getting hired for things that had nothing to do with diversity, equity, and inclusion. It just had to do with they were amazing photographers and they needed somebody and now you're in. And as you say, so many of us, whether we're entrepreneurs or employees in a big company, sometimes we don't stop to think about what we're doing and who we're hiring. And it's just about, okay, let me get it done quickly. And sometimes it takes longer and it costs more money. But if you think about the long-term benefits of what you're doing and the values alignment, then it's not as hard to make different choices. And it's something tangible that's really accessible that truly anyone can do. You know, that adage of you're voting with your dollars when you make these decisions. And I'm sure, like me, like the question I get asked a lot is how do we support women entrepreneurs? And uh, unequivocally, one of my first answers is always buy from them. Secondly, (laughs) tell everyone you know about them. But I'm curious what your answer to that is. Yeah, I would definitely say buy from them. And I would also say write a check, like write a check, Um, but also write a check and make sure there's more than that. Like enough of the one and done. And I think we saw a Mm. lot of that uh, with the Black Lives Matter Instagram squares on, you know, people's timelines and statements going out. And it's like, okay, but where's the, like, where is this going? Mm. And everybody's got to start somewhere. Um, I, you know, I'm doing work in spaces as well where I'm like, okay, I got to do some more work here, but it's about being transparent. It's about being authentic and it's about being thoughtful. Um, I think it's so there's write a check. I think it's also about having a longer term strategy. The one and done plan is not a plan. Like, all right, we're going to sponsor International Women's Day. We're going to donate to this local charity and we're done. No. So what is the 360, the full comprehensive um, evaluation of where you have gaps and the plan on how you're going to fill them? And I think that that is what a lot of folks are looking at. Like, I, I great, you know, you can put out all the PR statements you want, but if I see uh, women entrepreneurs and BIPOC folks running from your building, that's telling me more than any press release can tell me. What's not working there? What's breaking down there? If you are like, okay, great, we just hired a new diversity and inclusion officer. But then I look at your C-suite and your board of directors and there's not one person of color and there's like one token woman. Well, what is that telling me? You know? Mm-hmm. Or if you're My- working with folks and it's not a reciprocal relationship, I would say that's the other thing. There's been a lot of kind of performative allyship. Mm-hmm. My one of my really good friends, Jacqueline Jennings, who um, works in the indigenous space with entrepreneurs, we we were part of a clubhouse conversation the other night with um, a whole bunch of folks that we typically would not self-describe to have conversation with. However, we were back channeling and she asked a really uh, pointing question, which made a lot of people uncomfortable. And I'm hearing you get at this as well with the, you know, who is your board? Who is your C-suite? Who is your leadership? And the question she asked was, what sacrifices are you making to denounce your unearned privilege of where you are now to make space for others and to make room for others? And it it made the room uncomfortable in a way that it should and highlights that piece of, you know, all this performative stuff. That's that's barely the cherry on top. It's not a cherry on top. It's like, a, I don't know what it, what the right analogy is here, but it's it's not actually what it should be about. No, it's not. And I, I do think as well, like, 
if we're gonna go there, let's go there, Paulina. Like I'm, I'm good. I would also say um, I've had the, the 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 opportunity to speak to more and more corporate leaders, and because I'm on the outside and I still have a very good relationship with a lot of the brands that I used to work with, I feel very comfortable just speaking very bluntly, saying things that some folks on the inside of an organization may not feel comfortable saying while they're still there. Mm-hmm. And one of those things is, you know, we're so focused in a lot of this diversity and inclusion work on who we're hiring. And one of the areas that I think we need to talk more and more about is who are we firing? Like, who are we letting go of that has been a gatekeeper, an obstacle creator, you know, um, somebody who's been upkeeping the status quo? And that's a very uncomfortable thing. I know that there are systems, policies, et cetera, but sometimes it just comes down to people need to be courageous enough to say, your time's up. Like in order for us to progress, I know you've been here. I know there's a lot of loyalty, but you got to get with the program or Mm -hmm. move along. And I think that's a really tough conversation to have, but I would bet that if a lot of organizations look, took a hard look at themselves, they would know who the gatekeepers are, who are preventing progress around creating a more inclusive environment. Um, You you know, as you were saying that Emily, what it made me think of is, especially in the technology world, you know, there's that adage of you're only as strong as your weakest player, or, you know, you're only going to be at that level that you get to. And if we were as serious that, you know, the level we need to get to with our inclusion and belonging within companies is X level, and we can only be as strong as everyone who is at that level, we would see that same equation here. Yeah. And not waiting for public outcry, PR disasters, you know, uh, consumers in arms, like, don't wait for that to, to take that courageous step to be like, okay, here's what our policy says. And as I'm doing a full 360 assessment of the team that needs to now execute and uphold and inspire work around that policy, I don't need to wait for somebody for a crisis to, to appear on my doorstep. Let me take a cold, hard look at who's not a fit. Um, so I would say that. And the other thing I wanted to just mention briefly as well around kind of bringing um, bringing women and particularly bringing um, racialized women into the mix and entrepreneurs is looking at your process and how all of how sometimes our process, the processes of the way that business works or um, the, the systems at play can really create intentional or unintentional uh, barriers to entry, barriers to advancement, like it really is a big deal. I remember um, having so many conversations with folks about um, some of the requirements, for example, for grant applications or government funding. And that's not to say that just because you're a woman of color that you don't have audited financials, but if you're trying, if women are already behind, at least racialized women have all these barriers in so many ways, just sometimes some of the things that we're asking for, it's like, how can you still demonstrate and meet certain criteria, but have multiple options to do so? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when I look at things like, uh, I was just having a conversation with a bookkeeper today about um, payment schedules and how many organizations, for example, don't understand what the impact can be of not paying an invoice on time. Well, that works perfectly if you are always well-invested, well-funded, whatever. But if you're growing a small business and you are, let's say, for example, supporting a young family and, 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 we know that, and during a pandemic, when you're already stretched thin, like it just has 
such a ripple effect sometimes when you when you don't anticipate it. And I would also say just related to that whole policy thing, uh, I think we've also seen that in some organizations there have been real challenges around um, how policies are actually implemented and sometimes policies are well-meaning, let's say around discipline or code of conduct, but they're not always applied equally because people bring their unconscious bias to that. And sometimes that, that can that can have disproportionate implications for women, for entrepreneurs, um, for certain minority groups. So just all of this is in the mix. I guess, you know, you've got to start somewhere, but I think we all have to be pretty honest with ourselves that we can all trip up in different places and we can all miss things in different places and we just have to be open to receiving constructive criticism and really trying our best every day to find ways to keep the door open for everyone mm-hmm. and acting on that feedback when we receive it too yeah emily i'm curious uh i'm curious what today and right now this time holds for you as you've been i know you've been on a space of self-care right now and practicing the power of the pause i'm curious what this time has meant and how you're thinking about it how you're moving through it how you're being in it yeah for sure the power of the pause i've been talking about that i've been living in that i've been feeling it i'm like man i think i'm gonna write a whole book about the power of the pause um So often when we get to a certain milestone, our first inclination is to blow past that milestone to the next one, feeling that pressure, feeling that drive. Yeah, I saw the hand go up. I saw that hand go up. (laughs) So guilty. She's like, preach, confession, testimonial. Um, Give me my penance, sister. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but we feel that, that, okay, I, I hit, like, I got this award. Now, what's the next one? You know, I sold out this gala. What's the next one? I got this sponsorship. What's the next level? I swear my team will be listening to this and just going, <laughs> oh, God, stop. <laughs> I got a virtual couch for all y'all. All y'all. But um, I actually decided for the first time in a decade to go the other way. Instead of immediately being like, great, I got to year 10. What's happening for year 20? Great, I got this award. Now what's the next thing I wanna go after? Great, I got, no, I went the absolute opposite. And for me, the opposite right now is, instead of reaching for the next thing, I'm gonna reflect and give thanks for what's already happened. And I think that we don't take enough moments of gratitude. We are so busy hustling for the next win that we really don't appreciate what we've already accomplished not only appreciate it, but really unpack it. Like, what was life trying to tell me through that win? Mm. What was life trying to tell me through the things that preceded that win, which could have been losses, bumps, scraping my knee, falling flat on my face. Um, And even when we do quote unquote win, why? Like, okay, I'm sitting here in my, in this very moment, I have been less active on social media. I have been um, declining keynotes and interviews and passing them on to other people. I've been spending even more time with my kids. Um, I've been looking back on the body of work and really asking myself, where can I do my best work? Where can I have the most impact? Because it's easy to keep doing what we've always done if it brings us success. But that's not enough for me anymore. You know, I'm not going to pretend that I am perfect, not even close. But I am very confident that I know how to throw one hell of an event 
without, you know, without all the bells and whistles. Like we host some really memorable, powerful experiences for women and particularly for diverse women. But events feels like just the beginning now. It's like, okay, that was first decade. Let's level up, what's next? Um, how do I leverage the agency, the social capital, the expertise, the years that I've accumulated now? You know, I'm not 25 anymore, I'm not old, but you know what I mean? Like, how do I really take that? And the fact that I can call certain people and they'll pick up the phone. I can send certain emails and people will, will read them. I can throw my weight around, but to what end? And I think the season I'm in right now is, you know, I, I, again, I mentioned my grandfather. I really believe that God, life, the universe didn't bring me this far through all of these doors just so I could pat myself on the back and do another event and sip a cocktail. Like there is a reason why as the daughter of immigrants, as a black woman, as a young woman who made it through, may even got to journalism school, which is there's such underrepresentation even in that, being able to be a, an official storyteller. I went through all of those experiences for a reason. And so now it's about listening more. What do people need? Is there a need out there? Is there a movement out there that I can help to support, that I can lend my energy to? Is there work where I can help to be a coalition builder and a gatherer and a, even more of a connector? Is there more bridge building at work that I can do between community and corporate? Is there more storytelling that I can do? There, Those are all things that I'm probably going to take on in very exciting ways and I can't wait to share it when it's ready. But, you know, I think I can only speak for myself. It is uncomfortable to not be doing and showing and sharing and shouting really about what you're doing all the time. Mm -hmm. It's so counterproductive to who we are in the land of social media when it's always about what's next, what's bigger, what's louder. But it's also possible to really send a powerful message to people when instead of being louder, you're quieter. And I hope the message that I'm sending to people is especially to women and especially to racialized women who are entrepreneurs, I hope my message is it's okay to rest. It is critical to reflect. And you need to recharge before you can do the next thing. Um, as I said in a talk this week, I was speaking to um, a big company, their employees across the country. And I said, you know, the hashtags may be gone, the black squares may be gone, but my black skin and the fact that I'm a woman and a mom and an entrepreneur, that is going to last for my entire life. So I need to pace myself. Other people can get excited and blow their load on a campaign and all kinds of money, but I'm like, this has been my experience before there was a hashtag, before there were global protests, and it will be in my experience afterward. And so I've really got to conserve my energy, be very thoughtful, and understand that for some of us, all of us take risk. I don't think that that's exclusive to any background or any gender. But I also think we've all seen through the cost that people have paid with their lives, even through very difficult and public testimonials like we just heard recently with, um, with Meghan Markle, 
and the royal family that we don't all experience life the same way. So if I need to take some extra time to process the onslaught of Me Too, Black Lives Matter, a she session and COVID homeschooling two kids, guess what? I'm gonna take it because in order for me to lead in a way that is intentional and is impactful, I have to keep myself intact. There is such strength in resisting that urgency. Like that, that to me, I look to that as the true model of leadership and power in a way that the noise doesn't feel as, as intentional, as aligned anymore. I feel like maybe it used to, but I think it's become too much too. Like there's just too much of it. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of noise. And as I said, you know, I think one of the most humbling lessons I've learned from really dialing it down over the last couple months of my life, especially on social media, like, is that um, silence says a lot and being quieter can actually, you can actually cut through the noise by being quieter, which sounds so weird, but you can. When people are used to seeing you all the time being like, hey, look what I'm doing, da, 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 and then you're not there, people are like, what, what's happening? Like, what are you working on? Is everything okay? Like, is it gonna, da, 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 everyone loves to be in on the secret. Yeah. <laughs> like it makes people lean in a little bit, you know, mm. and not in the, you know, Sheryl Sandberg kind of way, but it makes you lean in, right? Like what's happening? Um, <clears throat> and it wasn't meant to be a marketing tactic. That's not what this is. This really is a season of self-care. And as you know, whether you like it or not, whether you have a big title, you're an entrepreneur, whether you're, you know, in the C-suite, doesn't matter what you do, whether you're the mom who is taking care of three amazing kids, that's a job on itself. Somebody's always watching. Mm -hmm. And so if we remember that, even taking a pause could be the permission slip somebody else needs to say, my gosh, if she could take a pause, I'm going to take a pause. And that doesn't mean you have to leave everything behind. You can have your team working and doing and whatever. But pausing isn't just about, oh, I'm excited, I'm exhausted. I think pausing a little bit, whatever that pause looks like for you, is also about giving yourself a bit more perspective. When you get off the gerbil wheel for a second, it's like my team can do, and they can pull a rabbit out of the hat. They've done it so many times. But that has to come from a place of intention. That has to come from your vision and your direction on where it is you want to go. And I'll just share a super quick story before we kind of, because I know we're 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 getting we're getting close to to, to our home stretch. But um, I remember when How She Hustles, one of our most popular events for five years, was a, an annual women's brunch. And so you know, by the time we did our fifth one, not that it was the you know people who host galas and all this stuff, but at the time. There really wasn't anything like it in Toronto. We had 250 largely black and brown women um, taking over a ballroom at a big hotel in downtown Toronto. And it was like, Twitter was blazing. People literally had flown in from different places. People had carpooled four or five hours, like booked their hotels, like it was a thing. It's like, you know, it was like, carpet, photos, trending, prizes, joy. Like it was just amazing. The energy was electric. Even the staff, like I remember every time we hosted a, a house she else's event, there would always be the staff at the venue or like, you know, folks on the street, they'd be like, what's happening? Where are these women coming from? Da, 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 da. You know, it was, it was amazing. And I decided that that was the last one I was gonna do. 
It sold out so quickly. We had a waiting list. It was packed. It was like at the height of kind of our event production work for the first five years. And people just couldn't believe why I would stop. They were like, what, what are you doing? Like, this is the best one yet. Like you have to keep going. Like you're you nuts. And I was like, no, it's time to stop. And I remember getting so much lovingly, loving backlash, but I was firm. And I was firm because I knew that if I just kept doing that, I wouldn't have space to do what was meant and what was next. Mm-hmm. And when I stopped, I didn't have the answer. It's not like I had a plan, but I stopped so I could make space for the answer. And I'm so happy that I did because had I not stopped doing brunch, I never would have done her story in black. I never would have done the Startup and Slay digital series, which was all about diverse women and non-binary entrepreneurs. We had some amazing sponsors come on board for that. And it became a national project. It's the second year we did it um, in uh, 2020. Excited to see what will happen in 2021. But that meant we were getting hundreds, hundreds of entrepreneurs that we never heard from, from provinces across the country saying, yeah, feature me and the amount of press and connections and all kinds of things that sales, so much benefit. <clears throat> Would have never had our an opportunity to be invited to meet Michelle Obama or to have our own round table with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Had I just said, yeah, events are it. And so I hope by sharing that story, <clears throat> I remind myself and anyone listening that it's easy to do what always feels comfortable. And even when we are quote unquote established, I think some of us, um, some of us think that risk only starts at the beginning, but mm. the risks become different and the chances you take become different as you evolve. And I think if you want to keep evolving, it's, it can be even scarier, but the rewards can be even greater. It reminds me of the saying of what got us to where we are today might not get us to where we're going tomorrow, even if we don't know what tomorrow is. The power of the pause, Emily, and the power of space, intentionality, and legacy. Emily, for those who want to continue learning from you or watching your silence, (laughs) but then be the first ones to hear and be deeply leaning in. You know, there's this great parenting advice that I once heard of if your kids are screaming and you want them to listen to you, whisper instead of screaming back. So instead of doing that, start whispering. I sometimes employ it. Um, Where can they make sure to follow you so that when you are ready and sharing they are there with you love it love it well thanks for the opportunity i would say instagram is my jam um so you can find me at instagram on instagram at how she hustles i'm also on twitter i'm on facebook um but instagram is definitely my jam you can also sign up for my newsletter at howshehustles.com i hope to share more news uh, then and they uh in the coming weeks um about what's happening and i would just say you know I really appreciate this opportunity to speak with you and the fact that you picked up on the energy before I was even ready to articulate that I was ready for a pause. Um, I think that more often we need to give each other that grace, not just to ourselves and say, I'm okay with the pause, but let's remind ourselves that um, our deadlines, our needs, our priorities, our needs can't always be projected onto other people. And 
if you trust that things will happen when they should, there's no need to panic. Let it breathe. And when the pause is over, if it is meant, purpose will bring it back together and it'll just be done. So thank you for the opportunity to come and speak with you. It was right on time. Oh, I am so grateful. What Emily is referring to is we, I had reached out probably what, like, I don't know, four months ago, maybe I yeah. don't know, four or five months ago, whenever it was. And Emily graciously said, love and support and no, and come back and come back in the future should the time be right. And I popped that right into my calendar because I knew if the time were to be right, I would still love to have this conversation. So I'm so grateful that you opened, you you held that door open for an invitation for a future. Well, thank you. My grandfather always said, what is for you will never pass you. And I really believe that's the case, you know? So have faith, you know, for those of us who are going through this unprecedented time, just remember that it is but for a moment. And if we really hold our values dear and we have faith that Whatever is meant is going to come, no matter the obstacle, the unforeseen. If it's meant to happen for you, it will. Thank you so much, Emily. Thanks, Paulina. This was awesome.